Thanks for downloading Inside Octopus, where our aim is to give insight into Octopus Energy's DNA, the way we work and think, our values and our people, exploring our products and services, the technology that sits behind them, and the culture that is driving us to deliver cheaper, greener energy. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and for this episode, I'm thrilled to welcome a new name to the company, but certainly not a new name to the industry. Uh, Rachel Fletcher is Octopus Energy's new Director of Regulations and Economics, but for the past three years, was CEO of the UK's water regulator, Ofwat. So what brings you to Octopus Energy, Rachel? Oh, thanks, Russell. Uh, well, what brings me to Octopus? Two really big things. Uh, one is the really, really big purpose that Octopus has set for itself, which is to be a really constructive force for good in, in the green energy revolution, helping us to get there faster and uh, getting there cheaper as well. The second thing, actually, for me is inside Octopus, what makes it tick? How does it work as an organisation? Really fascinated to learn from an organisation that will be working very, very differently uh, from my own background in the public sector. Have you been keeping an eye, I guess, on, on where Octopus has come from and grown over that time from that external view? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I left Energy three years ago. And at that time, you know, there were a couple of new challenger uh, companies on the block. Octopus was was one of them. And, you know, I was beginning to see actually companies coming forward with really different value propositions for customers with a different ethos, um, uh, really turning things upside down and, and challenging the status quo. Uh, so yes, I've kept a, a little bit of an eye on on what's been happening, and uh, it's been really exciting to see in Octopus and others actually not just the growth of the company, but how well it's held close to its values, its its commitment to customers and great customer service, but also seeing the exciting new products that it is bringing forward to help unlock. Uh, the demand side and the flexibility that that customers can bring to a decarbonised energy system. Great. Well, you, you just touched on it there. I mean, prior to Ofwat, I was going to say that you spent 15 years at Ofgem. Um, why make the move from regulator to energy provider? Well, look, I mean, the, the, the common thread, I think, is, is about trying to drive change. As a regulator, that's what I've been doing for the last uh, 15 years or so. But I think if you look particularly at the the net zero challenge, I don't think we're going to get there through regulators and policymakers alone. I think we're only really going to be able to achieve that great, hairy and absolutely vital ambition if we've got a large number of innovative, creative businesses that are committed to the same outcome but are bringing different skill sets to the party and are actually showing what can be done rather than talking about and producing papers on what can be done, which is what uh, regulators and, and policymakers do. So that's really, you know, the big attraction for me is to, to bring skills that I've uh, developed over the years, but to, to bring them to uh, into the corporate side of things and, and, and to really be part of that synthesis of, of companies with, um, with their innovation and their creativity working and pushing in the same direction uh, as policymakers and regulators. And um, who approached who? 
How, how did the opportunity come about? Greg Jackson, the Octopus CEO, approached me and, um, you know, I was, I was kind of happily working away in, in the water industry and in off-watt and, and, in, and really enjoying that role. But to, to some extent, he was also pushing on an open door. You know, I'd been, you know, as, as a regulator in the energy sector, uh, seeing companies like Octopus come along and particularly companies that were interested in um, really making use of technology and data to put power into people's hands to be part of the, the pathway to net zero really, really interested me. And um, I'd always had in the back of my mind at some point in my career, it would be great uh, to, to work in a, in a company like that. So he was um, uh, definitely pushing on a, on a door that might not have been wide open, but was, was certainly uh, off the latch. So what was the response from your colleagues in the industry when the announcement was made? Yeah, really interesting. And I think I think two things. I mean, one is actually everybody said, wow, I can see why you'd want to join Octopus Energy. What a, what a great company. And, and I think that says a lot actually about the profile that the company has built up and the reputation it's built up over a really short period of time. Um, I mean, the second is obviously everybody was very complimentary and uh, sad about me leaving. But, you know, the thing I've, I've realised over the last couple of months as I've been handing over to my successor is actually that I am completely dispensable and um, already seeing off what actually uh, running perfectly well without me. And uh, I think that just cements uh, the, the fact that I made the right decision. It's time, time to move on. What about Octopus Energy's mission itself? I mean, what is it about that that, it, that excites you? Well, look, I mean, the, the, the thing that strikes me now, actually, is that the real importance of tackling climate change, it, it feels like it's reached a, a real zenith moment, you know, recognition. People seem to have woken up, actually, that if we don't act quickly to address climate change, uh, we're going to do irreparable damage to the planet. And, you know, I think people like Greta Thunberg and the Extinction Rebellion uh, movement have really drummed up uh, that recognition in a way that I haven't seen in, in my entire career in energy. So I think it's a, a fantastic moment, actually, to be really uh, pushing on uh, the decarbonisation agenda in, in the context of the broader climate change emergency, which I do believe that we are facing and which I think future generations will look back on, on people like me and say, well, what did, what did you do? Were you, were you part of, of sorting this out? Did you put your weight behind it? So that really excites me. And, and actually, I think it, it shows the importance of what Octopus is trying to do. I mean, I think the other thing is that, you know, three years in the water industry have made me realise that the challenges that we're facing are not just about emissions, uh, not just about global warming, I mean, our natural world is actually being destroyed. We're destroying biodiversity. And, and indeed, actually, I think there's an increasing public recognition that we need to be careful stewards of our environment. And these two things are linked, climate change and biodiversity and looking after the planet for future generations are all part and parcel of the same thing for me. And, uh, you know, I'm really keen 
to be part of seeing a more holistic and joined up approach, not just decarbonizing energy, but how can we as a society uh, take better care of the environment? How can we build sustainable homes, for example, and make sure that we're not depleting the natural world um, of the resources that, that we need uh, for sustainable living? And so what are you expecting in terms of, I mean, will, will there be a culture shift moving from public sector to, to private company? Um, I, I think I'd be disappointed if there isn't. That actually an opportunity to learn new things is, is really hugely valuable and, and something I'm, I'm really looking forward to. But the, the, the big contrast, I think, is, you know, I've spent the last 15 years in the public sector, uh, which is, you know, quite hierarchical, quite a lot of governance, for very good reasons, quite risk averse and, and very focused on, on consistency uh, in decision making. Uh, whereas the, the entire Octopus Energy business operating model, as I understand it, is one that celebrates autonomy, uh, really looks to avoid putting uh, strictures and constraints on people's creativity and is, is, is starting completely from the opposite end of the spectrum. And, and actually, as a, as a civil servant, I've been trying over the years to create some of that autonomy and innovation um, that we see in companies uh, like Octopus Energy uh, within the, the public service. But uh, there's going to be nothing quite like seeing it firsthand uh, and living it for myself. And that might be challenging at times, but I'm, I'm going to be learning a huge amount. Let, let, let's, let's go through this then. Tell us exactly what the role of the Director of Regulations and Economics will be. Well, I think you know, Russell, that I can't really answer that question because it's a, it's a role that does not, because it's top secret, but it's a role that doesn't exist at the moment. And I think it's probably true to form in Octopus that it's, um, it's not a role that has been very tightly defined with a, a careful box uh, put around it. I think it's a, a, an opportunity for me to come in and find out how best I can uh, use my skills and experience and work with people in Octopus to really help Octopus influence the uh, policy and regulatory agenda. So, um, I mean, at a high level, that's the objective. Quite how it will work is, is, a, is a different thing altogether. I, I think the thing that's, that's important about the role, actually, is I see it as, having, as being a bi-directional role, if you like. I mean, part of it is bringing information and evidence and Octopus's own experience and achievements into the policy debate so that, that policymakers, regulators uh, can understand what's in the art of the possible, um, but also hopefully to bring an even better understanding of the policy directions and challenges and debates back into Octopus Energy so that that can be part and parcel of the company's strategic thinking. Emily Gosden, the energy editor at The Times, um, so she, she wrote about your new role when the announcement was made. I was interested to, to read in the article, she said that the appointment had been approved by the government's advisory committee on business appointments, but they had placed restrictions on your interactions with government for two years. So I was just wondering for listeners who may not be aware, can you just explain what that process involves? But also, if you've got a restriction for a period of time, you know, what impact will that have on the, on the role that you know, you've just described you'll be doing here at Octopus? 
The restrictions are in place for very good reasons, actually, on senior civil servants and indeed on politicians when they leave public life and when they go into the into the private sector. And, and, the, and the objective of those restrictions is to make sure that people in my position are not using uh, relationships or indeed even information that you might have gained in your public life to give a company, uh, if you like, an unfair advantage in, in the way that you can lobby and have access into government. So I think those rules are in place for a, a really good uh, reason. I do not see my role in Octopus as going and lobbying government to protect Octopus's commercial interests. And that is a conversation that that uh, Greg and I had and something we cleared we got clarity and alignment on very, very early. I see my role as helping Octopus to help government achieve its goals. So I think, yes, it, I mean, it, it, it does place restrictions. I can't just phone up people that I know and suggest going down the pub and having a bit of a chat. But, but what, I'm, what I'm hoping, and indeed I've received some indication of already, is that regulators and government will actually continue to want to speak to Octopus, as they do already, to understand uh, what the business is achieving, um, how it is innovating, where it's investing, and to bring the learning from that into the policy domain. And I think those restrictions don't, you know, do not get in the way of those conversations as long as it's it's government effectively reaching out for that period. Since the last podcast episode that we recorded for Inside Octopus. The company, so Octopus Energy, has received a $200 million uh, investment from Tokyo Gas, and that raised the valuation of the business to over $2.1 billion. We're now serving 1.9 million UK customers, and then through the license of you know our technology, um, 17 million accounts globally. I, I, was, I mean, I, I asked you this a little bit earlier, but I was wondering, what's it been like from the outside watching you know the, that such huge growth since 2015 but also I'm keen to understand what the vision was that was sold to you on that conversation that you had with Greg yes it's been it's been really exciting to watch from the outside challenger companies come in thrive grow and not just grow in terms of the number of customers but to grow in the ambition and the innovation around the the products and services that they're offering customers. I think that the the proposition isn't about becoming a really big energy retailer. The proposition, which excites me and is why I'm taking up this role, is that you've got a company that now, partly because of its size, has got a voice, has got a seat at the table, and is willing, you know, not, not just to come along and help shape the pathway to a green energy system, but is also willing to put its money where its mouth is and invest in new products and services that help us all live greener lives. That's the really exciting proposition. I mean, I spent a long time in Ofgem watching the six incumbent energy retailers retain uh, their position at the top of the the market share league table and that looking very, very static uh, for a very, very long period of time. 
Uh, so yes, it's you know it's exciting to see the dynamism and to see a new set of big energy retailers um, and a new a new list of names. But but actually, what's exciting isn't the change of name for me, and I don't think for anyone at Octopus. What's exciting is what companies like Octopus Energy stand for, which is treating customers fairly and uh, not luring them in with what Greg coined as the the tease and squeeze strategy and a commitment actually to really be part of driving uh, a green agenda. And I think that is very, very exciting and something I want to be part of. Uh, Rachel, before we finish, I thought it'd be good to just fire a few more questions at you so that we can get to know a little bit more about you, if that's okay, and the way you think. So I've, I've got a few here. There's an easy one to start with. Um, what was the last book you read? And uh, seeing as we're doing a, a recording, a podcast, the last podcast that you listened to. Yeah, podcast. I'm, um, I'm revealing my age here, but I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Fortunately. Uh, the Fee and Jane podcast is uh, two women remarkably of my age bracket um, talking absolute nonsense and uh, they really make me laugh and I think what everybody needs right now is uh, to be cheered up and to see the funny side of life so um, that's a a, a big favourite of mine. Um, I'm also a massive reader of fiction I think in the last few months I've read over a dozen uh, novels most of them are, fa- are again, fairly light and in, and in the kind of entertaining escapism um, mode. But the most recent was a, a Japanese novel called Pachinko, which is about Korean immigrants in Japan. And it traces the, the history of a family through the last few decades and really, really entertaining and, uh, and just kind of a, a, a window into a different world and, and a different subculture as well. Great. Superb answer. You've obviously clearly had a, an amazing career so far today. What sacrifices have you made to um, achieve your success? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I certainly wouldn't get a violin out because I've not. I've not made major sacrifices. But uh, you know, one one reflection I have, it, and one regret I have actually, is that I mean, I've got I've got children. They're they're young adults now. But I, you know, I did not spend as much time with them as uh, when they were little kids, actually, as I would have liked to, and I did that to further my career. And actually, my, my regret is that I didn't push back enough because fast forward 10, 15 years, I think we are in a world where most companies or at least any, any uh, right thinking company is, is trying to be fa- family friendly, is introducing flexible working arrangements and actually recognises that um, it isn't important uh, what hours of the day you're at your desk, um, but what matters is uh, what you achieve. And I think I could have achieved just as much, if not more, whilst having more time with my kids and being there occasionally when they came home from school. So yeah, that's that's one of my reflections. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I used to be out the door at 6.30 in the morning and not back till seven, eight o'clock at night. And yeah, totally unnecessary, really, when you think about it. You're making a, a pretty big change in your career. Would you class yourself as a as a risk taker in general yeah i don't i mean if you look you look at my cv i mean i've spent um you know before going to off what i had two stints in the same 
uh, organization for over a decade. So that doesn't necessarily suggest that I am actually particularly <laughs> open to risk. But again, I think it is something that as I've got older, actually, I've become more conscious of wanting to make career choices that allow me to make a difference to society. I guess as I get older as well, I'm perhaps in a little bit more of a position to take risks. You know, I'm, I've not got, you know, I've not got the same responsibilities in terms of supporting a family, for example, as I had a decade ago. So I'm sort of revealing to myself almost uh, what my risk appetite is, and it's it's definitely changing. And just sort of picking up on some of the things you've talked about, I mean, is there anyone that inspires you be that inside or, or outside the workplace? I mean, when I was quite a bit younger, I lived in Southern Africa for over a decade and actually moved there in, in 94, which was um, happens to be the year that they had the first democratic elections in South Africa. So I saw firsthand, actually, what a big idea and the idea of a, a multicultural, multi-ethnic society that the ANC and Nelson Mandela had how that really set a whole country uh, alight and gave it hope um, and helped to build bridges over tensions that had been in place for for over over a century. And actually, what yeah, of course, somebody like Nelson Mandela inspires many many people. But but actually, what really inspired me was was actually seeing how that big idea affected individuals and their relationships with others um, and, and gave people hope and spurred them on to, to creating a, a better country. So there's, been, there's a lot there, I think, to draw on, um, particularly as you're trying to bring about really big change, um, like we are with net zero, and you don't know actually how you're going to get there. Yeah, that's fantastic that that's you've taken that with you on, you know, in your journey through your own career. I think I think that's great. Yeah, brilliant story. And what about the best piece of advice that you've uh, ever been given for your for your career so far? I mean, again, it's it's sort of a slightly trite piece of advice, but there's something about following your heart, doing what matters to you, what interests you as being how you're going to get fulfillment, how you're, where you're going to draw your energy from, um, and what's going to keep you, what's going to keep you going. I remember having a coach uh, again about a decade ago who spent some time with me, helping me figure out you know, what was really important to me. And I remember at the time, I think, God, this is just a bit of a waste of time, isn't it? This guy's earning money for for from old rope. Uh, and actually, quite again, quite humblingly, that is one exercise that has really stuck with me. Um, and and uh, as a piece of advice, I'd give to and have given to many people since. Final question for you, Rachel. Um, and we asked this to, to Stuart Jackson, our, our CFO and co-founder, on a previous episode too. So I'm keen to to learn from you. And we've we've talked about this. You spent time. It was 11 years. I, I think I've got this right at PwC. 15 years at Offgem those last three years as CEO of Offwatt. So a huge amount of experience. What have you learned personally in that time? And is there anything that keeps that still keeps you up at night? I've learned time and time again that having the right answer doesn't always mean that you get your own way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you need to take people with you. 
you know, that hearts and minds piece is so important. Uh, you know, whether you're, you know, whether you're um, leading a, a team of people within your organization or whether you're trying to make m- big, you know, change across a complicated system uh, like the energy system or the water industry, you've got to take people with you. And quite often battles are lost and won very, very early on because of that hearts and minds piece. And um, I've been on the losing end of that a few times. And it's really taught me the importance of the work we do. It can't just be intellectual, can't just be about thinking. It needs to be about uh, listening and understanding where other people are coming from uh, and engaging with them. Tremendous. Um, it's been great to, to get to know you and understand a bit more about the role that you're going to be doing here at, at Octopus Energy. So good luck with that. But for now, uh, Rachel Fletcher, um, thank you so much for joining us. As always, if you've got any comments on anything that um, Rachel has talked about today, please do get in touch via the website at octopus.energy or via the usual social channels. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith, thanks for listening and goodbye.